morning. A couple of things as we get started. Um, we're going to have little ones in here with us today, so just, you know, be prepared for that. There's going to be some noise, and that's okay. Um, also, I wanted to, to mention to you guys, um, I did figure out how to get the uh, outlines working last week in the Faith Life app, so if you have that Faith Life app and want to open up that digital bulletin, the, uh, the outline is available there, or if you'd like a paper copy, I've got some copies made. Uh, if you want to just raise your hand, I'll have Saley bring you one real quick, because she's... Chris wants one? Hey, Saley. Yeah, Saley, grab those, and, and y'all keep your hand up. She'll bring you one real fast. Awesome. All right. Look, last week, I don't know about for you guys, but um, it was such a blessing for me, and if you were here awesome. If you weren't, I'm sorry you missed it. We had some incredible testimonies that were shared. Um, I preached a little bit of the beginning of this sermon last week. I'm going to just kind of touch on that. I don't want to belabor it, um, but God's brought out some more stuff about worship we're going to talk about a little bit today. But if you didn't get a chance to hear that, um, go back and it's on the podcast, both a little bit that I said and then also the testimonies that were shared last week are on there. And um, man, so, so good. So today we're going we're gonna to continue in Exodus chapter 15. Um, last week we read during the service the first part where Moses um, is singing this song over Israel. And one of the things that, that God really pointed out last week is this is Moses' song. Um, it's not Israel necessarily, um, that, it's certainly not them that writes it. But what I see in the text as we look at that is that Moses is singing this song. And his sister Miriam obviously is joining, it says, in the last part of that, of that first half um, that Miriam also is leading in, in that worship service. And I think that's important, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want to pick up today um, in Exodus uh, chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 22 through 27. We're going to read that, and then we're going to kind of break that down. But today is, is entitled Responding in Faith. And really, we're going to talk a lot about worship today. We're going to talk about... Um, what worship does for us both individually and corporately and we're going to look at some things some ways that affects our lives and and it, to kind of sum it all up a while ago at the beginning of the service my three-year-old was down here dancing if you don't know how to dance you missed out because she was showing the moves um, that she did not get from her father obviously um, but I, she she I, she's dancing and all that and she comes she says dad why are they singing a little bit I said they're worshiping God and she said yeah because he loves us I thought, man, that's a whole sermon right there from a three-year-old. So let's dig in today. I'm excited about the, the words that the Lord has for us today. So let's start in uh, chapter 15, verse 22, and we'll read through 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So the first point I made last week, and I'm just going to run through these, uh, this main 
point and a couple of subpoints real quick, and then we're going to expand that a little bit. But, but the first point from last week was worship helps us to process, to remember, and share who God is and what He has done. We talked about that worship allows us to not only uplift God, it also allows us to communicate with Him and to understand what we are experiencing. I use the example of being in a traumatic situation like a car wreck where something happens, your adrenaline starts kicking in, and it's not till later after you calm down and you look back on the event that you see all the things that happen. And worship is that way for us. We get caught up in the midst of life, and life is crazy, but when we get alone with the Lord and we begin to worship and we're thinking through those things as we're worshiping and bringing that that trauma, that stress, the joy, whatever it is, into the presence of the Lord, we get new clarity that we didn't have before. And we talked about that worship matters because it gives us a more complete understanding of who God is. To, and I want to expand a little bit more on that this week. And I want to help us understand even more what's happening in our text. I read a book this week, and you're going to see a couple. I started reading a book this week. And you're going to see a couple of, of quotes come out of that today. It's by A.W. Tozer, and it's, it's a collection of sermons of his, but it's called Worship. And this, this is one of the quotes that I want to start us out with today. It says, God made us to worship. That is why we were created. Everything that, that uh, excuse me, everything has its reason for being here. We have this reason, that we might worship the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we sinned and lost the glory and fell, and the light went out of our hearts. And we stopped worshiping God and set our affections on things below. Listen, as we worship our hearts, our souls, our bodies long for and then remember what they were created for. When we worship, we are closer in that moment to God than in any other moment because we are in that moment, in the, the posture. We are in the, the very thing that we were created for. When we do the thing that we were created for, my, my, my grandfather always he used to, I can't remember the exact phrase that he said, but there was this idea. When you used a tool for something other than what it was intended for, he would always fuss at me like, uh, um, a crescent wrench is not a hammer, okay? But as a child, anything was a hammer, right? When you use something outside of its context, it, it never meets its full potential. It never gets its full intended purpose utilized. And when we are living outside of the reason that we were created, we as well don't meet our full potential. God has created us for worship. And look, it's not about the music, it's not about the songs, it's not about what worship leader you have. It's because we take on the posture and the role that we are created for that worship becomes something more than just those things. It becomes more than just the leader, it becomes more than just the song, it becomes more than just the music. Our worship shares the gospel by revealing to unbelieving people the truth about who God is as they see him working in our lives. When we're worshiping in spirit and truth as Jesus said that we would, we are no longer just amateur actors putting on a performance. But we are representatives of a living God. And the very nature and the glory of God is revealed through our worship. Look, if, if you have truly worshiped before, if you have been in a place where you are in the presence of God and there's no doubt about it, then you, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been in that place before, the best way I can describe it is that there is a, there's a thickness in the air. 
you can feel, you can, I can speak for myself, I can feel, I can physically feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, that is, is addicting. And it's addicting because that is the thing that I was created to do. When I was in my first ministry position as an intern, um, we, we would go and have life group. Um, we called them something else in those days. I don't remember what it was, but small groups. Um, at this guy, Mr. Jim's house. And we would go to Mr. Jim's house and we would have a Bible study. But something happened at Mr. Jim's. We fell in love with worship. And it wasn't about the music. We played the same Passion CD every year. I mean, every, every week. But we would get to, to Mr. Jim's house. And we were just in a house, just like you guys meet in a house. And we would have a little Bible study. And we found ourselves rushing through that but because we wanted to be in the presence of God more than we wanted to hear one another's opinion about what we thought the Scripture was saying. Studying Scripture is incredibly important. I'm not belittling that at all. But when we got in the presence of God and the people in that room, I'm talking about a bunch of high school students. These were not adults. I was a college student at the time. Something would happen in that room that would be bigger than anything that we had experienced before. Tozer said in his book, I wish that we might get back to worship again. Then when people come into the church, they will instantly sense that they have, become, that they have come among holy people, God's people. They can testify of a truth that God is in this place. That is what we experienced at Mr. Jim's house. We put on that, old, that worn out passion CD. It was silver. If any of you are as old as I am, you probably remember that silver passion. Russ, give me a head nod. All right. Some good stuff on that. All right. Some good throwbacks. We'd put that CD on. We'd, we'd worship to the same songs because that's how CDs work. If you're not familiar with those, some of you are, may not have ever listened to a CD. You just, all you know is Spotify and, and Apple Music. But the, the songs played in the same order every time. And, and so it wasn't about, some people are going, What? There was a shuffle thing on CD players. We just didn't use it because we, I don't know. Anyway, the point is, something was happening and it wasn't about the music. It wasn't about Mr. Jim's house and it wasn't about the people in the room. It was about the fact that we corporately said, this moment right here is about us worshiping God. When we worship, something incredible happens. When we worship, it allows us to zero in on exactly what God wants us to do. Because in that moment as we are in His presence, he is in complete control. He has all the authority and He handles all the communication. As we worship, our, our souls are laid bare before the Lord. We find ourselves like Isaiah. And I'll pull up Isaiah 6. I did not intend to do this, but let's pull up Isaiah 6 real quick. We'll just start in, in verse 1. I'm going to read it off the screen. No, i got an R here. Watch how fast I am. All right, I'm going to read. Y'all, she'll catch up. This is Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
And then later, it says in verse 8, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Look, when we get in the presence of God and we see Him for who He is, something incredible happens. We in that moment know our true purpose. Because that is why we were created. When we gather on Sunday mornings, look, I know, it's distracting. I have five children, okay? And usually some others around me. And I know that it's difficult. But this isn't the only place that worship can happen. This is a place, and it's a good place. And last week was incredible. But we need to make sure that we're spending some time on our own worshiping the Lord. Our closeness to God... And our sin is revealed when we are in worship. And He is able to to deal with that. As we bow before Him, Christ says, that sin that's in your life, just like Isaiah, he, He got in the presence of God and the first thing that came to mind was all the sin that's in His life. He in that moment was purified by the presence of God and God said, let me deal with that. And He cleansed Him of His sin. Look, I know that there are some in this room who've never had that kind of experience. And look, I don't know about you, but for most of my life, worship was about this. I grew up in the Methodist church, a lot of you guys know this. This is what the word worship meant to me. It meant singing the songs out of the hymnal and not falling asleep during the sermon. That was worship. And when I was in high school, a man came into my life, a youth pastor, who showed me what it meant to truly get before the presence of the Lord. Now, I tell you that I'm Methodist because there was always that joke that if the dead in Christ rise first, the Methodists would beat everyone else there. Okay, and the Baptist said that about the Methodist, and the Methodist said it about the Baptist, so everybody's clear. But worship was not a thing that we talked about, and I had a lot of Baptist friends, and worship was not a thing that they talked about, because I think a lot of people were scared of it, because that was that weird thing that those other denominations do. But I'm going to tell you, when Isaiah was before the Lord, it was not weird. And when we see anywhere else in Scripture where someone comes before the presence of the Lord, we see these words, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when you and I stand before the Lord, we cannot help but do the same. All of a sudden, as I discovered what it meant to worship, these passages that I had read my whole life were just blooming in front of me. All of a sudden, I had a new understanding because I had been in the presence of God and I knew Him in a way that I had not known Him before. Tozer says this, we will be making a mistake if we just stand back and say, but if we give ourselves to worship, no one will do anything. On the contrary, if we give ourselves to God's call to worship, everyone will do more than he or she is doing now, only what he or she does will have significance and meaning to it. It will have the quality of eternity in it. It will be gold, silver, and precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubble. I heard a sermon a long time ago, and, it's, and I think it was John Piper, I don't remember exactly, but he said something to this effect. He said that missions exist because true worship doesn't. Missions exist because true worship doesn't. And what he's saying is we have to have this, this, um, this facility of mission. We have to have this, this call of mission. We have to have... Um, um, these 
organizations that are about missions because we as believers don't truly worship. Because if we worshiped, if we stood before the God of all gods, the Alpha and the Omega, we would care about others far more than we ever cared about ourselves. We would care more about what God was calling us to do than we would ever care about the silliness of the things that we think are important in our lives because our perspective would be right. I've heard a lot of older generations say, I hear it in my office all the time because we are always struggling to find good laborers. And I hear older people in my office saying all the time, and you've heard people say this, that millennials don't want to do anything. Right? Now look, I'll be the first to tell you, Christopher Swilder, if he calls me a, a millennial, I want to punch him in the mouth because I don't want to identify as a millennial because I'm a zennial. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. It's not that millennials don't want to do anything. And this is what I love about you guys it's that you don't want to do anything that doesn't matter you want to do something with significance right simply doing something because someone else does it is not enough for you and it's not enough for me for that reason this generation is going to be the generation that changes the church because no longer are you okay with just doing something because that's what to be done you want to do something because it matters. And I want to tell you today that there is nothing that matters more in this world than our true worship. You heard what Tozer said. He said that, that when we worship, it will have the quality of eternity. That means the things that happen in our lives as we worship will last for eternity. There is no greater significance than that. When we stand before God, our, our souls are laid bare and we see ourselves for who we are and who God is and He calls, we will say yes. Listen, if, you were, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, I've never experienced worship that way, as if we have been going through this study about joining God to set people free and you've thought, I don't know my place in that, my challenge to you today is you need to worship. That is the answer. And please do not mishear me. I do not want you leaving here today seeking some kind of experience. Isaiah didn't just decide, you know what, I'm just going to get in the presence of God. That happened as he pursued God. And as he pursues God, God reveals himself. And as we've already talked about, we were made for worship. And when a moment of worship comes, take it captive and make it a priority in that moment. Don't let anything else distract you. Look, I'm, I'm as bad as anybody. That Twitter alert goes off on my phone and I've got to see what it is. We've got to turn that stuff off. We need to let worship happen in our lives. And, and don't also, on the, same on the same tone, don't look back on a previous worship experience and try to recreate that. We're going to look to, at next week at, at um, Exodus chapter 16 where God provides manna for the Israelites and he tells them only gather what you need for today. And when they tried to gather more, when they woke up the next morning, it was rotten and full of worms. When we try to lean back on past experiences with God, that's what we're going to get because God's not in that. God is in the moment and he wants you in the moment and every time it will be fresh and it will be new and it will be exciting. Look, all of this is because God wants us to know Him. 
He wants us to know Him in such a way that we realize that we don't need anything else. Main point number two, God wants us to rely on Him. In chapter 12, we're going to look back real quick. We're going to look at several scriptures. In chapter 12, God tells Moses that about what He's going to do and that Pharaoh's going to release them. Okay, so God in this is doing the instructing. In Exodus 13, 17 through 18, it says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. God is the one doing the leading here. In Exodus 14, 1 through 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pahithara, between Migdal and the sea, and in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Again, God is doing the leading. Exodus 14, 15 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Again, God is doing the leading. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? But look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, where we read today. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Moses did the leading. We talked about earlier in this study that when Moses leaves his, his father-in-law and his wife, after he gets the call to go to Egypt to, to deliver the Israelites. We talked about how that path that he takes is going to be very similar to the path that he comes back out as he's leading Israel out. I want to ask you a question. This is not rhetorical. I want you to consider it. How often do we get a word from God? Instead of asking how he wants to accomplish the work, we just dig in using our own abilities. How often does God give us a directive when we just take control and try to make it happen on our own? It's taken me a long time to realize that just because I can do something does not mean that I should. Just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should. Joining God means that at no time do we strike out on our own and just do something. We cannot join God in setting people free if we're the ones doing the leading. That's not joining. The result of Moses' leaving instead of God is that they find bitter water. They travel through a desert for three days. Just pop quiz. How many days can you last with no water? Three. Thank you, Joshua. In case you didn't know, my 10-year-old did. Three days. Do you think it's an accident that God let them wander for three days with no water? Listen, this is new information for me. I never read this before and realized that Moses is the one that's leaving. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said yesterday in Utmost for His Highest. Never forge ahead with your religious common sense and say, Oh yes, with a little more Bible reading, devotional time, and prayer. I see how it can be done. It is much easier to do something than to trust God. I'm going to say that again. It is much easier to do something than to trust God. We see the activity and mistake panic for inspiration. 
That is why we see so, fellow, so few fellow workers with God, yet so many people working for God. We would much rather work for God than believe in Him. It is vital. The word vital means that it is critical. It is life and death. That's why they call them vital signs. It is vital that we as a body are in a place in our relationship with the Lord that we are no longer just reactionary. That we don't see a problem and go, I know how to fix that. That when we see a problem, we are in the midst of worship or we go to worship and we say, God, I see the problem. What do I do about it? And then wait for Him to respond. God wants us to be abiding in such a way that every decision we are making are not out of our common sense, but rather out of the direction of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that so many times. As we, as we abide, our spirit is in tune with the Lord. And when He says to do something, we know because we are in His presence. And it's Him doing the work and not us. Can you say with confidence that as you go through a normal day that you're abiding in God is the basis for your decision making? Can you say that with confidence? That your abiding relationship with the Lord is, what's based, is what your decisions are based on. Our lack of reliance on God exposes the absence of worship in our lives. Our lack of reliance on God exposes the absence of worship in our lives. Look with me at Luke 13, 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why should, I, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Tozer tells a story in this book. He says a man was asked if he was well educated and he replied, I should think so. I did the fourth grade for five years in a row. How many people do you know that have spent their entire lives attending church yet show no fruit? They have all the appearance of growth but no fruit. Serious question. Don't answer it out loud. Are you one of those people? Have you spent years of your life just sitting in church and producing nothing? This is not a call for you to do something. It's a call for us to abide and to worship. Look, I know that that is a bold statement to make for me to call people out. And this is not coming from Will. Because I have spent years sitting in church pews, worshiping, and just trying to not fall asleep in the sermon. It's God's desire for us to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, the one that He intended for us to have. And if we aren't regularly digging in with the Lord and spending time with Him, we aren't on the same page as Him. And as a result... It's not His work that's being done. It's ours. Look, I don't know about you, 
but I find myself in that place a lot. But it's okay because God does not give up on us. When we realize that we have strayed away and then we, we realize it and we ask Him, just like Isaiah, we're before the Lord and the Lord reveals sin in our lives and we say, God, I need you to handle this. He does. And then guess what? Not only does He handle the sin, but He redeems the work that we've been trying to do on our own. Look at what He does for Moses in verse 25 through 26. And He cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log. And He threw it in the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule and there he tested them saying if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer God redeems Moses's failure Moses's failure to wait on the direction for the Lord he leads the people out of his own knowledge base, out of his own knee-jerk reaction. Look, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but I know what Moses is thinking. He gets out of this worship service. He's excited. He's thinking about the promises that the Lord has made, the land flowing with milk and honey. He's like, let's go, people. It is time. But it was him. And so he leads this massive group of people three days through the desert, them and all of their livestock. And they are at the point of death and the people cry out and say, Moses, what are you doing? And then Moses goes, oh, snap. God, what are you doing? And God says, I got you. Let me redeem this thing. After God redeems it, Moses, um, he sets forth a rule. He says, look, just listen and I will take care of you. If you will just listen to me, I will take care of you. By making a statute, God is defining for Moses and Israel the kind of relationship that he wants to have with them. He doesn't want the kind of relationship he has with Egypt. He doesn't want this to be, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to punish you. He wants the kind of relationship where you are in his presence and you are doing the things that he wants you to do because you love him. Because you see His provision. You see His goodness. You see His holiness. This is the same kind of relationship that God wants with us. He doesn't want us joining Him to set people free because you were convinced by a not so good preacher. He doesn't want you to join Him to set, God, to set people free because you feel guilty about their bondage that you don't experience. He doesn't want you to do anything apart from Him. The relationship that God wants from us is the same one He wants from Israel. He wants us to listen to Him. And then obey what He tells us to do. But look, it also says that He tested them. He gave them a command and then He gave them an opportunity to obey. You see, God is not going to force Himself upon you. God is going to give you a word and then He's going to give you the option to say no. The test in that is, why are you doing this? Are you doing it because you love me? Are you doing it because you know me? Israel chooses to obey. And God takes them to a new place. We are given opportunities to respond in faith to what God tells us to do. It says in verse 27, Then they came to Elam, 
where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Israel responded in faith. God said, I got this. Listen to me and I will take care of you. And so they did. Elam is less than five miles from where they were. A very short distance. And God doesn't just provide water. He provides 12 streams and shade. And in the desert, that's a big deal. If we will just listen to God, He will take care of all that we need. Whether life is going well or if it's really hard, God uses the circumstances in our lives to grow our faith. He gives us opportunities, just like He did for Israel, to respond in obedience. If we'll just obey God, He will provide. God provides this for Israel because they chose to respond in faith. I want you to be thinking about this week. When was the time that you responded in faith and experienced God for who He was? Where you experienced God's provision? And I'm not just talking about financially. It might be that you were just really stressed and you brought that to God and He said, let me take that from you, and He did. Israel needed water. God gives them water. And God defines their relationship. He gives them instructions. They obeyed. And then God did exactly what He said He was going to do. If you look throughout the whole Testament over and over and over again, God is telling Israel this same message. Listen to me, obey my voice, and I will take care of you. And the message is not different today. The relationship that God has defined for you and I to Him is that He wants us to listen, to be in His presence and obey His voice. Last week, the testimonies that were shared by Stephen and Mickey and Debbie were, for me, so encouraging. And in, every, in each situation, there was a need and God provided exactly what was needed in the way He needed to do it. And look, that's, that's the beauty of joining God is that God does the work. In all three of those stories, and again, if you didn't listen, if you didn't get a chance to hear them, they're on the podcast. In every situation, there was a need and God overwhelmingly provided it and He made it apparent that it was Him. It was He that was doing the work. That's the kind of relationship that God wants for us. God does not want us to just go out and try to do a work on our own. A lot of you guys, some of you, I don't know, I don't, remember, I don't know how many people know this story, but in 2008, God called Bethy and I to move to Rockwall to help plant a church. We prayed about that for close to a year. And I was confident that the Lord told us to go and that the guy that was going to be leading the church was supposed to be leading the church. We prayed over it, we had a plan. We moved over there. Well, as soon as we got over there, we planted, that church plant was very different from what we do today. But as soon as we got over there, finances got tight, and the guy that was supposed to be pastoring the church took control. He got nervous, and he took control. He tried to, um, to get people to give in certain ways. He tried to manipulate people. A lot of details there that I'm not going to go into, but here's the point. That church only lasted about eight months because instead of God doing a work there, this man tried to do the work. Ironically enough, that's the same guy that taught me about what it meant to worship. And I tell you that because we are all going to stumble and fall. 
but God can redeem it. If we will will turn from ourselves and our own ideas and allow God to do the things that He wants to do, we're going to experience something that's incredible. Look, this guy tried to take control and he tried to do what he thought was best for the church. And you might think based on your past history that that's a good idea, that the guy that's leading the church should be leading the church. But as your pastor, let me say that's a terrible idea. Because I don't have within me what is necessary to lead a church. All I have is the Holy Spirit and it's all I need. And the moment that I try to pull stuff out of me and make something happen here, it becomes about me and not about God. And that's not what you want. And it's certainly not what I want. As we lead our life groups, what God wants is not for those life group leaders or those host homes to try to make many versions of ourselves. He wants us to encourage one another to know Him in whatever way is necessary. Worship is the primary way that we're going to experience that. We, just like Moses need to be completely reliant on God to both lead and provide. Just like Israel, our stories help us process these experiences that we have. These moments of worship where we see something new of God and we're excited about it and we share that with other people. That's who we are and it's what we're about. We've talked about so many times. Our stories are all that we have. And look, you may not be a musician, but your story is your song. This song that Moses sang is the story of what God had just done for Israel. And the things that God is doing in your life as you are obeying Him, as you are pursuing Him and being obedient to the call that He has on your life, that is your song. And God intends for us to share those. Look, all that is is required for us to experience God in a way that most churches don't. It's It's not about anything other than just us personally pursuing the Lord. For us understanding our Creator. And to understand why we are created. And that's to worship him to stand before him on a daily basis and see that he is holy and that we are not but that his desire is to to bring us back to holiness that's what we sang about this morning we sang this morning about the redemption that Christ provides for us on the cross and the holiness that is provided through that work so look this week I want to end with this this week take some time and just worship It might be in your car ride on the way to work. Fantastic. It doesn't matter where it is. Capture a moment where it can be just you and the Lord and prioritize some worship and watch the effect that it will have on your day. Don't pursue that because you want an experience. Don't pursue it because you're looking for just a blessing from God. Pursue God for the sake of God and then just stand back and experience Him and watch how He overflows out of your life because of who He is. Let's pray. God, we want more than anything to know You. God, we want to understand 
in a, in a more real way the relationship that you want to have with us, God. And the only way that happens is being before you, is being in your presence. So God, I pray that as we open our Bibles, as we, as we read devotionals, that all of those things, Father, would not be about checking something off a list and not just doing it because somebody said we had to. But those things would all become worship. That as we study your word, you would reveal yourself to us. That as we pray, that you would reveal yourself to us. That as we worship, you would reveal yourself to us. Father, we know, we believe the truth of your word that we were created to be in relationship with you, Father. And that is what we desire. God, do a work in our lives to where you become the most important thing. Where you become the priority and help us to see the freedom that you have for us.